calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Sidewalk Audio and PatioBooks.com presents The Prince of Hazel and Oak A podcast novel by John Lenahan Book 2 of the Shadow Magic series Read by the author Chapter 35, The Stream When he finally let me out of his dungeon again, the king explained that he had to lock me up because I insulted him in front of his guards. I was surprised that he knew what a trumped-up, spineless guppy meant, but I guess the tone was pretty clear. He only made me sit in his sulfur pit for a day. When I was released, I was shown a little beach shack and was told that I had freedom of the island. I went back to the king's royal beach hut, but the guards there wouldn't let me enter and finally told me that the king was elsewhere. I doggedly sat in front of the hut for three days waiting for his return. I waited and thought. Thoughts filled with dead friends and a dying dad and a disappointed family and clan. If I owned a neurology textbook, I would have performed a self-lobotomy. I had to get out of there. There was always food outside my hut in the mornings and in the evenings, but I never saw anyone put it there. No one came near me. After two stints in the king's dungeon, not many of the Mertain had the courage to talk to me. There was obviously no ex-con chic culture going on in Mertain Island. My only contact was with two kids. They had obviously been told to stay away from the dangerous fairy, so obviously they didn't. They would hide in the bushes until I passed and then dare each other to touch the back of my robe. I remembered being a kid myself and throwing snowballs at cars. The fun wasn't in the throwing. The fun was when the driver got out and chased us. I usually saw the kids hiding but pretended not to until after they touched me. Then I would roar and chase after them. I mean, what's the point of being a monster if you can't scare kids? On this particular day, I just couldn't stare at the king's hut anymore. I went for a walk to clear my mind. It seemed that all of my injuries from being swooped on by a dragon had healed. I tested my legs with a jog, and it felt pretty good. In the distance, I saw the two pint-sized mertains hiding, so I quickly changed directions, doubled back, and came up behind them as they were craning their necks out of the bushes, trying to see where I had gotten to. I rushed at them, screaming, "'I want filet fish!' 
I think one of them wet himself, but you can't really tell with those quick-drying robes of theirs. As I vaulted after them through the bushes, I practically ran into Gracie. What in the sea are you doing? She said, crossing her arms. I'm scaring the crap out of kids. What does it look like? I then explained that tormenting these kids was pretty much the only contact I had with any of the Myrtane, since the king had thrown me into his dungeon twice. Gracie took me by the arm and we found the kids. She made us apologize to each other and shake hands. A shame, really. I'm sure they were going to miss their dangerous game. She told me that she had gone back to work at the Healing Grove, and this was the first time she could convince the matron to get some time off. I think one of the guards told her that we were kissing. Oh, I said. Sorry about that. Are you? She replied with a shy smile. I'm not. I spent a lovely day walking on the beaches with Gracie. As much as I tried to convince myself that I was fine with my own company, just talking to her made me realize how lonely I had been. She gave me lessons in the care and feeding of my robe. I had mentioned that it had recently been ignoring me, and she told me that that was because it hadn't been in the ocean for a long time. We took a swim that wasn't so bad after Gracie taught me how to regulate my robe's warmth, and then she coached me on the subtler ways of making it lengthen and even change color. Once again, I blurted out my life story, conspicuously leaving out any mention of Essa. Gracie was particularly interested in my father's illness and thought the king was being unreasonable by not helping. The day ended with a campfire on the beach before she swam back to work the midnight shift that Matron insisted she be on time for. If I said there was no kissing involved, I'd, I'd probably be lying. The next day, the war between me and the mini Mertain was back with a vengeance. The little twerps obviously realized that detente was dull and began tormenting me by throwing pebbles. I ignored them even when the pebbles got bigger until one of them hit me in the head with a rock. Now I was chasing them for real. If I caught them, I was going to kill the little dirtbags. Fortunately for all of us, Gracie appeared right before I caught the littler one. He started it. I said to Gracie, when she had once again gotten the three of us around a peace table. I did not, the bigger one said. You did too, you threw a rock at my head. He put on the most angelic of smiles and turned to Gracie. We were just quietly playing and he tried to attack us. We feared for our lives. You little, I said as Gracie stopped me from grabbing the smiling liar by the neck. I hope you find a jellyfish in your trousers next time you go swimming. Gracie patted the little future politician on the head, promising that the mean old fairy would never bother him again. You really shouldn't scare them so, she said after the boys skipped off, cackling to themselves. I started to protest, but instead just said, sorry, vowing to myself that the next time I saw the brats, they'd really be in fear of their lives. Come with me, my dizzy merfriend said. I have a surprise for you. Actually, two surprises. She took me by the hand and led me across the island. It was so good to see Gracie again. You may find this hard to believe, but walking hand in hand with a beautiful mermaid is preferable to being hit in the head with rocks. After about an hour of walking, during which Gracie infuriatingly refused to tell me what her surprise was, 
We climbed over a bluff of rocks and then down onto a small beach. At the edge of the sand sat a conspicuous pile of branches. Gracie, looking and acting like a magician's lovely assistant, pulled away the brush to reveal Ton's portable boat. Surprise, she said, jumping up and down. That's our boat, I said as I gave it a closer look. Where did you find it? I saw it ages ago, drifting all by itself on the far side of Innis Tautine. So I went back to see if it was still there. And it was. Did you find the oars? You don't need oars, she said, reaching into the bow of the boat, and took out two metal rings attached to a rope. They were exactly like the ones that Red had on his boat. I'll pull you back to the mainland. Are you strong enough? It'll be easy. I'll take the stream. There's a sea current that travels around Tirnanog. I can find the stream, and then it will be easy to fly through the water. I can do it in my sleep. You can swim and sleep? Oh, not my whole brain, silly, she said, playfully slapping my chest. I can only sleep one side of my brain while I swim. You can sleep one side of your brain at a time? She leaned in and spoke as if it was a secret. Some people think half my brain is asleep most of the time, and they'd be right. So I can get off this island, I said as the realization dawned on me. I can, I can warn my friends. Yes, she said, and I joined her jumping up and down. When can we go? Now. Oh, thank you, Gracie. They are wonderful surprises. Gracie stopped jumping. No, that, that's only one surprise. Really? What's the other? She reached into her pocket and handed me a small glass vial that was set into a gold mesh sleeve. Inside was a dark liquid. What's this? It is dragon blood. I hadn't realized until that moment just how much hope I had lost. Deep down, I had all but given up on saving my father. Now, this wonderful girl had just handed me the ways and means of curing him. I lifted her off the ground, spun her in my arms, and then I kissed her. But as soon as my lips met hers, a question flashed in my mind. I pushed her away and held her at arm's length. What's the matter? she asked. Where did you get this? A coy smile crossed her face. I sort of borrowed it. Borrowed it? With permission? Well, she said, pivoting on one toe. Not really. You stole it. You could say that. From the king? Well, yes. Who else? I can't take it. This produced a pout that made her look like a ten-year-old. Why not? because you will get into too much trouble. No, I won't, she said casually. Oh, I think you will. No, she said. I never really get into too much trouble. You see, people think I'm really dumb, so they never stay mad at me. But you have never been in as much trouble as this will get you into. Maybe, but believe it or not, I have thought about this. Moran is due in two years. The king is not going to die of old age before then. And your father is sick. 
I'm a healer, remember? He needs this. She placed her hands on her hips in a defiant, so there type of pose. I stepped forward and kissed her on the cheek. If anybody calls you dumb, tell me and I'll punch him in the nose. She placed her hand on my robe and a pocket appeared. Then she dropped the dragon blood in the pocket and then sealed the vial within the fabric. We decided to swim the surf, towing the boat, as opposed to risking me being tossed out by the breakers. This was the third time I had swum with Gracie, and I still couldn't get used to the way those gills opened up on her neck. To be honest, it creeped me out a bit. But boy, oh boy, once those gills appeared and her feet finned, that chick could swim. I held onto the rings that were attached to the boat, and then she grabbed me around the waist from behind and zoomed like being strapped to a jet ski, we were off. She dove down at a speed I thought was impossible in water, and then we soared out of the ocean like dolphins at a SeaWorld show. This happened over and over again. I wasn't sure if we were diving through the air so I could breathe, or if she was repeatedly trying to kill me. Once past the surf, I had to pry her hands from my waist to make her stop. I floated to the surface, my kelp robe providing buoyancy when I asked for it. Did I get carried away? She asked after she had broken the surface and healed the gills in her neck so she could speak. No, I said, my sinuses needed a good flushing. Maybe you should travel in your boat. Oh, you think? She nodded yes, missing the sarcasm. Are you sure you're up to this? It will be easy, honestly. Look, the stream is just over there. I looked to where she was pointing, but saw nothing but water. I don't see anything. You will, when it gets darker. Now, would you like me to help you to get into your boat? I said yes, expecting her to hold on to the other side so I could climb in without tipping it, but she had another idea. She gave me a quick kiss, then once again grabbed me from behind. The next thing I know, I was plummeting to the bottom of the sea before changing directions and diving straight out of the water. As we were directly over the boat, Gracie dropped me, and I landed flat on my side on the bottom of the boat. I was very lucky not to have put my foot through the canvas. Then the boat lurched as my own personal mermaid escort broke the water before me, holding the rings in both hands. She gave a hoot, which was the only sound she could make with a neck full of gills, and then did a lovely flip while blowing me an upside-down kiss. Then we were off. It was not a smooth ride. Being towed from the front means you bounce on every wave and swell. The afternoon sun was setting and I hunkered down trying to think about anything other than the breakdancing my stomach was doing. As the sun began to set, the stream came into view. It was a watery road filled with luminous algae that, as the night grew darker, became more incandescent. I could see that we were traveling in the opposite direction to the current, and that made me wonder if Gracie was lying about this not being difficult for her. But those fears disappeared when I peeped over the bow. Gracie was just below the surface and completely outlined with the glowing algae. Her arms were outstretched like an Olympic gymnast performing the Iron Cross. Her tail wasn't even moving. She looked like an angel. Gracie had told me that the Mertane gained power from the stream, but I had just thought she meant that it made ocean swimming easier. But here I saw 
The stream provided real power, like gold and true magic, or tree sap and shadow magic. Gracie was truly flying. But just because my mermaid outboard motor was sailing smoothly, that didn't mean I was. I had to tear my eyes away from my miraculous escort and lie down in the boat to make sure I didn't blow chunks. It was just before dawn when Gracie woke me up by tipping me out of the boat. As soon as her gills disappeared, she started giggling, and my anger at my damp awakening evaporated. She was still covered with whatever luminous microorganisms that lived in the stream, and it transformed her into the most beautiful creature I had ever seen. You are glowing. I know, she said, spinning around. Do you like it? You're radiant, I replied, in every way. She pointed over my shoulder. From what you have told me, I think this beach is close to your home. I will miss you, Connor. You're not coming ashore? No. Matron needs me back at the grotto. You're going to be in a whole mess of trouble back there. You sure you don't want to come with me? No one can stay mad at me, Connor. I'm too dumb. Maybe, I said, they can't stay mad at you because you're so wonderful. She kissed me, and as she did, we dropped below the surface. If you're looking to add things to your list of top ten all-time best experiences, I highly recommend kissing a mermaid underwater. She pulled back from me, and those getting less creepy, gills appeared. And even though she was underwater, I could have sworn there was also a tear in her eye. She turned and disappeared into the gloom of the sea. You have been listening to The Prince of Hazel and Oak a podcast novel by John Lenahan. Music gratefully provided by Lunasa. You can hear more of their fabulous music at www.lunasa.ie. That's L-U-N-A-S-A dot I-E. You can learn more about Shadow Magic and its author on www.shadowmagic.ie. Thank you so much for listening. Shadow Magic, book one of this series, is available from HarperCollins in paperback, EPUB, and Kindle formats.